So I have to start off today with a joke. So what do you get when you cross a dinosaur with a pig? Somebody knows that surely, right? Jurassic pork. Okay. Now that you're mad at me, we'll get started. I'm sorry. I, I, I know some of them aren't so good. <coughs> All right. Well, as uh, we've been talking about, we just finished up a little quick study of the Sabbath. And now we're going to begin our quarterly study on, the, on prayer, a special study on prayer. And I hope it'll be good for you. It's going, you know, you come into class and say, yeah, we're studying prayer. I, I know what prayer is. You know, I'm, I've been praying my whole life. I know how to pray. Well, yeah, that's true. And, and, and you know, we, we should be doing that. That should be absolutely part of your life. But it's good to study and understand maybe where, where, where this comes from. What, where does prayer come from? Why do we pray? What's the purpose of it? Do we have the right to do it? I mean, you know, we're praying to the creator of the universe, right? And so is that, is it true? Is it right to do these things? And we're going to look at all these questions that we might have around this. Maybe understand it better. Maybe it will help you in your prayer life to be more enriched, more fulfilled, and hopefully more encouraged, and you'll be able to grow through that, right? And we've had studies like this before, but it's good to go back and, and review again and to go over some of these things again. So if this is a little review for you, I'm, I, you know, I hope you'll stick around. It's, it's good to review, remind yourself of some things as well as we go forward. What, what do you think is the purpose of prayer? Somebody give me some, some answers. What, what is the purpose of prayer? What's that? It's a commandment, okay? Good answer. Another purpose of prayer? Talk to God? Okay, good answer. What else? What was it? Express thanks, yes. What else? What's another purpose for prayer? Joyful noise, make a joyful noise. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. It's not just singing that. We do that, right? What else? What's that? Forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Yes, sir. Can't hear. What's he saying? For help. Okay. Good. What was that? Changes things. Prayer changes things. Good. Good answers. All good answers. Uh, if you've got your outlines that were passed out today, back in August, it talks about this. In August of 2005, Newsweek asked a thousand some odd American people what they believe and what their, how they practice their faith. And one of the questions was this. What do you think is the most important purpose of prayer? And you can see this in your outlines, but several things are given. 27% said to seek God's guidance. I think I heard that mentioned. 23% said to thank God. I heard Thanksgiving, right? 19% said to be close to God or the divine, to be able to talk to God. I think I heard that, right? Others said 13% to help others. We're praying for others. Another 9% said to improve a person's life. I think I heard that changes things, right? Another, and then 4% said other, and 5% said don't know. Well, that's interesting, interesting question. There's a lot of answers you can have to that question, right? What is the purpose of prayer? <coughs> and as we go through this quarter, we're going to see a lot of uh, ideas and things around prayer that help us perhaps understand it. But today we're going to talk about what is the purpose. As these answers might suggest, there's many reasons to pray, right? 
we had many reasons here when I asked the question. And the purpose of prayer can kind of boil down to a few things, right? Generally speaking, when we pray, we tend to pray similar things over and over, right? Which, which is not either good or bad. I'm not trying to say that. But we tend to have an idea of how we are to pray and what the purpose is, and we pray in accordance with that, right? We have the idea that perhaps we are to uh, ask forgiveness. We have the idea that we are to ask for um, help with those who are in need, just like we did this morning, or those who are sick, or those who are mourning a loss. We just did that this morning. We have the idea that we are to pray for Thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done for us. We talked about that a little bit this morning, right? And then we have the idea that we are to pray to ask for things, right? And probably most likely, most of our prayers, when you boil them down, end up being about that last part, right? We're asking for things. If you are a Christian and you are praying every day, is that what you're at doing every day? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're talking about all those parts, what that purpose is. But you ever notice how the world thinks about prayer? It's usually something that comes up when there's something bad happening, right? Yes, ma'am. Julie and Irene Johnson lost their three-year-old granddaughter. Oh, okay. Ewing? Dewey? Dewey? Okay. Sorry, I'm getting hard of hearing right now. Okay, thanks, Ed. I appreciate that. We'll try to remember that. Um, and, okay, so where was it? So we're talking about prayer and how we, do, how we do, uh, deal with that, how we pray, and as Christians, how we, uh, uh, how we go about this act of prayer. One of the things the world is not so much, um, the, the idea, not the idea, they don't have so much, is the idea of praying in adoration, praying and honoring God, right? You'll hear people talk out in the world, well, you know, something bad's happened. Well, we need to be praying for America, or we need to be praying for people of the world, or we need to be praying for Ukraine. And those all are well and good, but you don't hear the part about adoring God praising God. It's all about helping somebody who's in need. And that's well and good, but that, is that all the prayers are supposed to be about? Is just supplication? So we're going to get into that. That first thing I just mentioned there is that expressing adoration. God is certainly worthy of our praise, is he not? Worthy of our honoring him. We can praise God in song, but we can also make that joyful noise through prayer. It's not just singing. Generally, when we talk about praising God, we think about singing, right? Because most of our songs, if not all of them, are in some form or fashion in praise of our Father, praise of our Heavenly Father, God. But we can also do this in prayer. God is certainly worthy of that, and He is certainly, uh, uh, He certainly should be adored as our Father. I want to look at a couple examples of that. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, and let's read some verses that Paul writes regarding that adoration or that praise we should be giving God when we're praying. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, uh, verse 14. 
And he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So here we have an example of Paul in prayer, written down in the letter to the Ephesians, to the brethren in Ephesus. He's glorifying, he's praising, he's adoring our Father in heaven, right? Through what he's saying there, and he's saying through what the work is in you, you're also glorifying and adoring your Father. So that's part of his prayer, to adore. Also, we can see an example of this in the Old Testament, if you wish. Turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and let's see a prayer that David had to our Father in heaven. 1 Chronicles 29, and let's begin in verse uh, 10. <coughs> Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. All right, here we have King David, man of God after God's own heart, and he's praising God the Father. In other words, he's humbling himself, adoring God as his creator, adoring the Father, adoring God as his Father, right? Here we have King David, perhaps the most powerful man at the time on the earth, and he's recognizing God and adoring him and praising him. So that's something that we should be doing in our prayers. We should be praising our God. Like I said, the world talks about prayer a lot, right? Especially when times, bad things are happening, like 9-11. I'm sure after 9-11, there were a lot of folks praying, and you heard about it, right? In the news, they talked about it all the time. A lot of folks probably praying for the first time in years, you know? But I wonder how much of that was praying to adore and praise God as opposed to getting help from whoever their eternal being they believe that was, right? Getting help for the people, getting help to help them be comforted, right? That's not something the world necessarily thinks about through prayer. We are to be in praise of our God. And not to talk about myself, but I try to do that at the beginning of my prayers. I want that to be the first thing that I say to my God is I praise you, I adore you, Father. And that's not that doesn't mean we have to do that first, but that's the way I try to do it. And I think that's the idea that first and, and up and uttermost, we are to praise him and look to him as our God, humbling ourselves before him. Expressing adoration was not one of the responses there in that survey I mentioned, though. Right? 
They were asking, how do you practice your faith? Why do you pray? You don't see adoration of God in that list, as I said, because the world really doesn't see it that way. You know, they, they want to pray. They need help. They're looking for something to make them feel better. But they don't necessarily look at it as praising God. Because, you know, who knows who God is? we got all kinds of gods, right? So just saying. That becomes part of an acronym that you can use that I, I've used. A lot of people talk. It's ACTS, right? The ACTS, A standing for adoration. And that's something, if you want to use that, if you've never used that before, that's a good way to do it. When you're praying, at least, uh, perhaps, perhaps if you've not had a good prayer life, maybe that's a good way to get started. Just think about that. We'll talk about all aspects of that. But A would be the adoration. Adoring God, praising God, humbling ourselves before him. And what's next? What's the C stand for? Well, obviously confession, right? Confessing our sins. There is something about confessing our sins that provides healing, that provides um, a well-being within us, perhaps changes your life, right? Turn over to 1 John, and let's see what John wrote about confessing our sins. 1 John chapter 1, and verse, uh, let's begin in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In other words, as Christians, we enjoy the constant cleansing of sin from the blood of Christ. How do we do that? Well, of course, we talked a little bit about this in Galatians, remember? Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. And while we're walking in the Spirit, part of that process is being in prayer daily. And in that being in prayer daily, we are always confessing our sins, always praying for forgiveness. For we know we're just, we're humble sinners, right? We're nothing. We're just creation of God. We're His people. We have been set apart. We've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we have to be in prayer daily to ask forgiveness constantly. Now, that doesn't mean if you went out and committed some sin and you died, you're going to hell, okay? I don't want you thinking like that, but we have that constant walk in the Spirit where we are continuously washed in the blood. If you're praying and you're not confessing sins, then perhaps you need to be thinking about where you are spiritually, right? That should be something that's just automatic because you are praising Him humbling yourself before him, asking him to forgive you for your shortcomings, right? That's just part of it, just part of that process. Christians should get great joy out of that too. We should enjoy being cleansed, knowing that the one who can forgive sins is doing so and is willing to do it. And for whatever reason, he wants you to pray about it. He wants you to confess to him. He wants you to understand what you're doing. 
And through that process, you grow. You get better. You become more like Christ, right? A couple examples of this. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. And let's, let's see an example of confession of sin. And this is a parable that Jesus uh, taught, and it's a good one. <coughs> Luke chapter 18 and verse 10. I'm in John. I'm getting loose. Hold on now. <coughs> Start in verse 9 there. It says, Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I don't hear much humility in that verse. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a great example. Christ just gives it to us in a parable. Between the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee says, I'm the righteous man. I'm glad I'm not like anybody else. Now, hopefully nobody in here is like the Pharisee. Right? Have you ever known somebody kind of like that, though? A little holier than thou? A little more righteous than everybody else? Hmm. Have you ever been that way? Interesting concept, right? We're talking about confessing of sins and through that humility that we have before him, when we praise him and recognize him as our creator, our father, confessing of sins is just a natural process. Right? Jesus just gave us an example of what that means. He said the publican went home justified. Interesting. When we do that before the Father, when we confess our sins, when we humble ourselves, we are cleansed. That's a promise. Through that parable, it's inferred, but it is a promise. Look at another example. Turn back to Psalm 51, and let's read that one. And you may remember this one. This is the Psalm of David when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then Nathan the prophet came and told him, man, you better repent. And so David did, and this is what he wrote, beginning in verse uh, 1 there. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multiple multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me against you you only have i sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me behold you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts you will make me know to know wisdom 
Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Interesting set of verses there, right? Here we have David committed the sin with Bathsheba, which resulted in him murdering Uriah, which resulted in him having a child that was lost because of it, died because of it, who he mourned because of that one sin. David committed a sin that caused a multitude of problems for him. A multitude. It wasn't just that he sinned with Bathsheba. He caused a mess. And here he is the king, so all of Israel knows about it, right? And he's got men out in the field fighting. And he's having to deal with this back in Jerusalem. We don't think about that part of it usually, though, do we? We just think of David and Bathsheba. But imagine how that disrupted the entire nation of Israel. He's the king. What happens today if the king does something that? <laughs> it's all over the world, isn't it? You hear it all over the news. You can imagine how the rumor mill was running after that happened and the things that occurred because of it. And Nathan came in and said, because of this, bad things are going to happen. You need to repent. And David did. And this is his prayer. And notice his prayer, how he, the things he talks about. He says, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me away from your presence. What does sin do? It separates us, right? It separates us from God. You know, when we get to heaven, what have you heard How about heaven? How great and glorious, glorious it's going to be and all that stuff. But really and truly, what's going to be the most wonderful thing about heaven? Being with God, right? being with our creator witnessing his glory and sin separates us from that and that's one of the things david's crying out about here he felt that here he is king of israel he's been appointed by god to be the king and yet the sin has separated him from his father from his guide from the god that he adores so greatly and he's saying cleanse me from that don't take me away from your presence Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He knows God is generous. He knows God is merciful. He knows God is love. And perhaps that began to really weigh on him once he realized what he had done. Not only that, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Through his example of repentance here, there's going to be some folks who realize who God is. Interesting to think about that, isn't it? Through our confession, God is not only glorified, we come back in His in uh, relationship with Him, we are cleansed of our sins, but people get converted because of that. Hmm. Have you ever thought about that? Through your confession of sin, through your life being changed maybe? 
people can see that. People can see you are living a life that's a little different than the world, right? A little more humble than perhaps people in the world are. I'm not a sinner. I can do what I want. I'm going to live my life to the utmost, get all the gusto and pleasure I can out of it. But as Christians, when we're humbling ourselves before the Father and we're confessing our sins and we're asking forgiveness because we know we can't do it on our own, things get a little bit different, don't they? Not like the world. Just some thoughts. David provides a great example there. Of course, that parable between the publican and the Pharisee is a great example. Obtaining forgiveness by confessing our sins is a blessing. And it can only be enjoyed through those who have put on Christ. Galatians 3, 27. You're baptized in Christ, you're in Christ. John 14, 6. The only way to the Father is through whom? Jesus Christ. So if you really want to be able to enjoy that blessing, confess your sin and be forgiven of it, you got to be in Christ. I want you to hold that thought because that's something we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to dive into that today, but we will look into the idea of whom has the right to pray. Interesting. All right, well, that's the C. you got AC. Adoration, confession, then you got the T, thanksgiving, offering thanksgiving. Being thankful is emphasized continuously in the scripture. Turn back over to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read a few verses from there. Ephesians 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all the things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Turn over to Colossians 4 what's said there and I want to read these because they're, they're, they're great examples or they, they tend to show us how important this is Colossians 4 uh, Colossians 4 verse 1 <clears throat> masters give your bond servants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And then the last one here, turn back over to Philippians chapter 4, and let's read what he says there. (laughs) 
verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you get the idea that God wants you to thank Him for what you're done, He's done for us? Do you get the idea that we are to thank Him and we are to thank each other for what they do for us? You see, when we are humbling ourselves before Him, when we're showing our praise to Him, when we are confessing our sins, saying we are a sinner, we are not perfect, we have no hope without you, when we humble ourselves and bow our knees, you can't help but be gracious, right? And if you're not gracious, then perhaps you need to be thinking about where you are spiritually. That should be, that should be something that just comes out of you. Thank you, God, for what you've done. I mean, right? We should be shouting that from the mountaintops. Not only that, that Thanksgiving allows us to release something, doesn't it? When we confess our sins and we realize we've been forgiven, we've been washed, oh, thank you, Lord. We're able to release something. It tends to make you less anxious, doesn't it? It tends to make you comforted, give you comfort. And when someone gives you comfort, what's the first thing you do? Hopefully you do, is you thank them for it. Mama fixes you supper. Thank you, Mama. That stuff is really good. When you were a child, Mama put you to bed and tucked you in. You may not have said it in so many words, but I guarantee you later in life you probably thanked her for it in your own mind, nothing else. Thanked you for hugging you when you needed a hug. Thanked your daddy for helping you out with your homework, teaching you how to drive a car maybe, showing you what it's like to be the father. Through Thanksgiving, we release a lot of stuff, don't we? We really do. That helps us in our relationship. We're able to express to one another our feelings for each other. Yeah, we may not be saying, I love you, but when you thank someone for something they're doing, that's kind of what you're saying. And you're thanking them for their love for you. It's an expression of your relationship with each other. And therefore, when we express thanksgiving to our Father, we are expressing that love we have for Him and that relationship we have with the Father. You ever thought about it like that? You should. Why else would you be thanking Him? if you didn't have a relationship with him. Well, we can't discount the importance of thanksgiving in our prayers, obviously. Especially if we want God to answer our prayers. I mean, uh, that's something that we should be doing. And that last letter in the acronym is S, standing for supplication. We've got adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, making supplication just read philippians 4 6 where he says ask things and it shall be provided to you we're supposed to let our requests be known to god 
That sounds a little bit selfish, doesn't it? Right? I mean, how are humble sinners supposed to be able to ask God for something? And I'm not talking about a bike for Christmas. But he says to do it. He says, make your request known. Well, what does he mean exactly? What is it commanded exactly? Turn over to 1 Timothy and let's read something from there. Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> now let's begin at verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Hmm. So we are commanded to make supplication for all men, not just ourselves, but all men, including kings, governors, those who rule over us, right? Why? Well, he says, so we can lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Where does a king or president get his authority? You know, in the U.S., we like to say the president gets his authority from the people, right? And that's why when they do stuff we don't like, we complain about it, right? Because we have that right. Who ultimately gave that person that authority? God. It comes from God. God raises up nations and he brings down nations. He has providence in the world. Now you can say, well, Satan is the God of the world. Satan is in control. Well, not exactly. Satan has been given a certain level of freedom to do things, but we know from Job, he's limited. God is the one who's ultimately in control. And I've said it before, if God's not in control, <laughs> who is? We pray for all men, not just ourselves, not selfishly, but we pray for the good to be done. For God's will to be done through our supplication. Now that doesn't mean we can't pray for things personally or in our families, not saying that. And let's look at, let's look at a couple of things here to uh, supplement that. Go over to chapter 5 there in 1 Timothy and see what Paul wrote there to Timothy. <clears throat> he says in verse uh, 3, Honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to prepay and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. The widows were praying night and day for help. Remember, in this time, it was hard for a woman to support herself that she was not married. Her husband had passed. Usually needed help. So he's kind of referring to that, how the widows pray night and day for supplication. Turn over to, if you want, 1 Kings. We'll go back to the Old Testament. I should have told you to stay there, but mark it. 1 Kings and chapter 8. <clears throat> And look at verse, uh, let's start with 27. 
says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the earth, behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple, night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place, and you may hear the supplication of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. This is coming from Solomon, the wealthiest, most wise man in the world. And he's saying, pray when you see this temple. He's saying, pray for things, pray for your supplications. Pray for God's help. Jesus made supplication too as he was crucified. I want to turn over and look at that. We'll go back to Luke. And verse uh, chapter 23. Chapter 23 and verse, uh, let's start with verse 32. It says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Turn over to Acts 7. Let's read another example of this. Acts 7. Verse 50. Let's start with verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him not a, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Here you have an example of Jesus saying, don't. Lay this on them. Forgive them for they don't know what they do. He's praying for the men around him, men and women. Stephen, same thing. He's being stoned to death. What did he say? Lord Jesus, don't lay this on them. They don't realize what they're doing. Praying for supplication, unselfishly, right? When we pray, we need to lay things before God. And sometimes I know that probably tends to be selfish. Or maybe you think it's selfish. But that's okay to pray for things because you are a child of God. And we're going to talk a bit about that later, of how you have that privilege to do that. But as you're doing that, you're praying for all men, not just yourself. You're humbling yourself, right? You're praying for others. We just did that this morning. We pray for those who are ailing, who are in need of healing, who are mourning a loss, someone who might need a job someone who might need shelter, someone who might need clothing, food to eat. All those things come into play there. We are to pray for supplication for others as well as ourselves. With the aid of this acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, you should never be able to forget the purpose of prayer. Those four things really are the fundamental, I guess you could say the foundation of a prayer, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's good to understand the purpose of prayer. 
We should try to understand that. It should help us in our daily walk in the Spirit. But we're also going to look at some other things, too, as we do this study. We're going to look at the power of prayer. Is there really power when we pray? I talked about the privilege of prayer. Who really has the right to pray to God? Is just anybody able to go into the throne room and pray before God? Understand the principles of prayer. Manifest the persistence of prayer. We just read that, pray without ceasing. And then talk about engaging in the practice of prayer and what that means exactly. So hopefully all these lessons will help us to uh, remind ourselves of what prayer is all about, perhaps kickstart our prayer life if it's kind of going soft or stopped, and perhaps that will help us to grow a little bit spiritually. All right, time's up. Thanks for being here.